No Time to Die is now out in theaters. So today I'm going to be ranking all five Daniel Craig star James Bond movies from the worst to the best. Hey everyone, welcome back to Movie Morning. We discuss all things movies, reviews, rankings, and all of that fun stuff. And today, of course, I'm going to be ranking all five Daniel Craig James Bond movies from the worst to the best. Now, there will be questions on why I didn't do a full 25 movie James Bond movie ranking. Number one is because I don't, I haven't fully watched all the movies. I think I've watched like 95% of them. There's just one or two that I had like zero way of watching, just no access to on any streaming service or anything like that. So that's the reason why I haven't, I haven't, I'm not going to be ranking all. And the other one is because I wanted to be able to talk about No Time to Die with spoilers. So I've just, so if, if I was going to do a 25 movie ranking, there's just no way that would work out. So this is pretty much what this episode is going to be. It's going to be a ranking. But when I go get to my placement of No Time to Die... I will be doing a more in-depth talk about it in spoilers. I'm going to talk about it for spoiler-free for a few, like one or two minutes, then give you a spoiler warning, get into spoilers for like maybe four or five minutes, then continue on with the ranking. So if you want this to be a more traditional ranking, I'd recommend you skip over the spoiler segment, especially if you haven't seen No Time to Die. But I will be talking about all four other movies, pre-No Time to Die, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, and Spectre openly without any spoiler warnings but when it comes to no time to die i will be giving warnings whenever whenever i do get into spoilers but that's only when i get to that placement on this list and if you just wanted a no time to die spoiler talk not interested in a ranking and i do recommend you just skip over to the, skip over to my placement for that and then just skip to the spoiler talk and you can listen to that so there's a few different episodes combined into this one episode because i thought it wasn't really worth doing a whole separate spoiler talk and if this episode does well, I may just consider combining my spoiler talks into my rankings from now on. Gone on for a while now. Let's get into starting this ranking. Starting off at number five. Coming into my number five is Quantum of Solace. This is, of course, the epilogue film to Casino Royale that, that was met with a lot of script issues. This movie, if you didn't know, was filmed during the writer's strike, so the script wasn't fully polished and complete. And Daniel Craig himself, as well as the director, I believe Mark Forster, also had to do their own, had to do rewrites on the set. And obviously, as Daniel Craig himself has said, he is not a writer. So the script was never fully polished. So I kind of feel bad placing this one in last place. But it's easily the one that I, that I think is the least, in terms of just how it's structured and formatted, the least like a James Bond movie. Obviously, in terms of its content and plot, we'll get into that with Spectre, but there's, like, too many issues to stem from that. The As an epilogue to Casino Royale, that's an interesting idea. Bond is a bit more emotionally compromised. He's out for revenge. But it's combined with a villain plot and a villain character that is so uninteresting that it just, the two things, just, it just this movie just becomes boring despite how quick-paced some of it is. And speaking of quick pace the action in this movie is filmed with that classic 2000s shaky cam edited to piece style and of course you can make excuses like that was just how action was filmed at that time it was inspired by the born franchise but to me this is just not my type of action sequence and i just it's just you cannot compare the action sequences in this movie to every other movie in the franchise like compare this to that like Without spoilers, the stairwell fight in No Time to Die, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, then just, you know, you can just, that, that, that will fly completely over your head, which is fine. 
And it's just embarrassing that an action scene, the action scenes in the, some action scenes in this franchise have that edited to death shaky cam nonsense. Also, like, this isn't a painful watch or anything. The script has just a few too many issues. It doesn't feel fully polished. It, it just doesn't feel like it, like it fits into this, this Daniel Craig bubble pocket franchise inside of the larger James Bond franchise. It's a lot more straightforward, which is fine, but it's just the plot is a bit too uninteresting. The dialogue doesn't feel fully polished. That It just doesn't keep you invested enough, unfortunately. Coming in at my number four is Spectre. Now, I've always appreciated this movie a bit more than other people. I do have to admit, on this latest rewatch I did right before No Time to Die, just a few days before, there were a lot more issues that did stick out to me, especially in terms of how it fits into the franchise, because this is the first time I've watched this movie since watching all the other movies and, you know, learning a bit about what Spectre was in the other movies and Blofeld and all that. So I do have to admit that looking back, this one does feel a lot worse having seen all the other James Bond movies. But as a movie on its own, it's not all that bad. It's a disappointment for sure, especially coming off Skyfalls and how great, Sam, how great of a job Sam Mendes did. But it's just, it does a few too many, too many things in this movie that I think takes a bit away from what makes James Bond special. And the way this movie ties Bond and Blofeld's backstory together, to me, just doesn't really work. And I felt like the twist they, they threw in here was so unsatisfying. Christoph Waltz as Blofeld, which is obviously like one of the main twists of the movie, is, was kind of really wasted. The story, the more it goes along, the more messy it gets. And it's a bit too long-winded to make this a movie I want to rewatch, like Casino Royale, which is only a few minutes shorter than this, but it's not as messy. And here's the thing, though. There are still a lot of awesome sequences, like the tracking one-take shot at the beginning, which is great. The camera work the, and the entire time is fantastic. The action scenes are well shot for the most part. It's visceral, just like a lot of the best movies in the James Bond franchise, you know, is. And I actually really like Leah Sadu as Madeline Swan in this movie, but I just... And she actually does a pretty good job of showing emotion. I just wish that I bought into the Bond-Madeline romance a bit more, which this movie just fully didn't uh, make me do. I'm really conflicted on this one, and I have been for, like, just the more I've thought about it. So there's just, it's a bit too messy, but there's so much fantastic stuff in it. And the reason that I'm still going to say that I can at least enjoy this movie a bit more than maybe some other people is because... I just like these characters and spending time in this espionage world. And at least this movie is somewhat coherent, which at least I guess I can appreciate. So, and enjoyable, especially when you compare it to something like Quantum of Solace. And this is a movie that I've actually heard a lot of people say because of No Time to Die, this movie slightly improved, especially the Bond-Madeline part. I don't know if I'd fully agree with that just because... No Time to Die does heavily rely on you being invested in that relationship, at least for like quite a bit of that movie. And because of that, even going back, I still don't think this movie's improved all that much. But yeah, I don't know. That's just my opinion. And now getting into my top three, I have to say that I love all three of these movies and actually heavily debated my number three and my number two placements and potentially switching them. I just think that I need might need a bit more time to sit on that but with the nature of how, you know online movie talk words i do have to get this episode out right after the movie so as of right now coming in at third place is no time to die 
a very satisfying conclusion to Daniel Craig's tenure as James Bond. Again, I'm not getting into spoilers yet. I'll do that in just a few minutes. I'm just going to be going on like an like a actual ranking, a bit more quick paced for just a few minutes. And when I'm going to get into spoilers, I will let you know, but I'm actually going to record that segment after I finish every other segment. So it's a bit awkward. But yeah, No Time to Die is easily the most emotional and I think the most beautiful James Bond movie of all time, just in terms of the visuals even. Again, closes out Daniel Craig's tenure as the character in a very satisfying way. And I think it's actually probably his best performance, at least the most wide-range performance in any of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. All of the supporting cast are fantastic, in particular Ana de Armas, who is only in one sequence, but she's so fun in this movie. And such brings a very different perspective into, you know, in terms of this world and the characters. The action is phenomenal. There's like a one-take fight. There's a some awesome chase sequences and all of them I feel like have a distinct flavor at least inside of this movie which I really appreciated and despite this movie being the longest James Bond movie of all time I did not feel it at all and I was entertained and fun the entire time again such a satisfying closeout for Daniel Craig the reason that it's actually a bit below my number two and my number one I think is pretty obvious obvious if you've seen my review and that's that Rami Malek as Safin the villain wasn't quite as memorable for me. And I think the plot gets a bit more muttered than I think my top two do and is a bit more clearly, I don't know, it just doesn't feel fully, doesn't feel as well put together as my top two, which is why this No Time to Die right now is at number three. But it's easily the one that affected, this is the, the, the Bond movie that I think had the most impact on me on an emotional level. And because of that, I can see it going up in the future. Like it's similar to why I have Avengers Endgame at number one of my MCU ranking. It's definitely not the, you know, the MCU movie that has the least issues, but it is the one that affects me the most. And I have a similar experience with this movie. I don't see it ever going to number one, but I can see it maybe swapping places with my number two in the future. With that said, though, th- this is where I will be discussing spoilers for No Time to Die. Okay, so again, spoiler warning for No Time to Die. If you haven't seen it, probably won't be talking for too long on this, but I just did want to get a few of my thoughts on the, out there about a few things. So again, massive spoiler warning here for No Time to Die. With that said, let's get into discussing some of the spoilers in here. So pretty much just to run down the plot, because I guess it's my only chance to do so. James Bond, you know, we have the opening credit sequence. You know, he's put Madeline on the train. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And he's basically in retirement for five years, which I don't quite remember if they revealed, so I didn't want to fully say it in my spoiler-free review, but so I wasn't really sure about that. But then we get a sequence of events where he has to go get the scientist, played by David Denisick, and he, you know, meets, he goes to, um, he, he's living in Jamaica, then he goes to Cuba, and after this mission goes off the rails, which, by the way, I wanted to mention that Felix, played by Jeffrey Wright, I really wanted to see more of him, but he does die in this movie and that was actually a really sad moment i really wish we got more of him in this series in general because he's only in three of the movies and in two of them he has a really small part but i really enjoyed his part in here i thought it was a lot of fun and i liked that you can clearly tell that him and bond do have a you know relationship they are friends and even like he says when he kills billy magnuson's character a bit later who i think his name was logan i think his name was logan ash if i'm not wrong even says I had a brother, his name was Felix Slater, and he just put that car on him in the forest, which, by the way, that scene was awesome. 
And obviously, as we go through the plot, he goes back to MI6. We learn about this, you know. It's kind of a virus, which, again, basically confirms, like, the some of the reports back in 2020 about the plot of this movie somewhat revolving around, like, a virus or, you know, something spreading in between people, which is why it would have been really untimely and, you know, well, really timely, but in a bad way, kind of a bit, put a bit of a sour taste in people's mouths. But I feel like it's been long enough now that people aren't just really too fussed up about that. So he, so the thing I want to talk about is that Rami Malek Safin literally, he's, he's in the opening scene, which is cool, but he doesn't appear fully until like halfway through this movie, which if I'm wrong, you can correct me in like the messages bit or whatever, but I think it's nearly halfway through the movie that he actually appears with Rami Malek's face, you know, on there as Safin. So I thought that was kind of an odd choice. And obviously, as we are going, Blofeld does actually die in here. Pretty much the the uh, the poison or the virus or poison. I think they described it as the poison, which I'm trying to remember the name. Was it the Heracles? Is it the Heracles, I think it was called. And I think that the when basically what happens is Madeline actually is given the poison by Safin and then it, tra- it transfers over to Bond when she grabs her by the hand, which I was kind of, to be fair, is a bit of a coincidence that, you know, he would actually do that. But I really liked the scene where he just, he was about to kill Blofeld, and he was like, die, Blofeld, die. From what I heard, it's actually a line ripped straight from one of the novels, which is always a lot of fun. And I really like the scene that he almost kills him, and then we cut back to him talking to Tanner, and then we cut back and he's dead. It was just a nice little, kind of almost like horror movie trope that happens, and I really like the way they use it in this scene. And again, even the opening scene is actually was really cool moments of horror, which I didn't didn't expect in this, you know, in a James Bond movie. But pretty much what happens, and I think pretty much is that Bond goes back to Madeline's house, and we see a child, and her name's Matilde. And this was obviously, you know, James Bond's daughter. Firstly, the blue eyes. Secondly, if you looked at the beginning of the movie, right before Madeline got on the train. She actually put her hand on her stomach. So, again, I, I saw that but didn't think much of it. I was like, I don't know what she was trying to do with that. But I just noticed that that had happened. And later, as soon as I saw the child, I'm like, yeah, okay. And the movie takes a while to fully confirm that it is actually Bond's kid, which I found was kind of odd because I thought it was obviously his child. It's the only way that a lot of he would care. I mean, it's the only way that we're going to get the audience attached to this child of Matilde and Madeline and what they're doing. So I'm like, it's obviously his kid, but the movie kind of dances around it for like nearly an hour, and it basically only 100% confirms, unless I missed something, because it feels like some characters knew certain things, other characters knew certain things, and it just got really confusing. And when I was speaking a bit about how, in my spoiler-free review, about how some of this movie gets a bit muddled, like with, with the daughter character, that's mainly what I was talking about. Like, which characters knew about it, which characters didn't. That's the main thing. But I do like that they're doing this. I think it does show growth within this character that, you know, he's realized this. And it does, obviously, it's something that I know a lot of Bond fans are going to be annoyed about and say, that's not James Bond. He wouldn't have a daughter or whatever. I think it's good. I think it shows good progression of his character. And I love the moment at the end where he puts him on the boat and he gives her uh, his sweater. I really like that moment again shows that he is technically a hero and actually does make his final moments, Bond's final moments in this movie, work a lot better, at least in my opinion. 
And moving on, obviously, Madeline and Matilda, and Madeline, her child, Matilda, get captured by Safin. And Safin gets a vial, which I think is Madeline's blood, which we later learn is that he, he infects Bond with the poison so that if Bond ever goes near Madeline again, he would basically be killing her because she's the target. So that does, again, there are, I think the fact that I've come out of the movie, it actually took me a while to fully piece this bit together, but I don't know if that was their intention or was it just me being more invested in the character and not as much in the plot, and I didn't really notice this. But now that I have noticed this, the movie actually does come together a lot better. Even, you know, I love this movie, but it comes back, comes together even better than I realized in my spoiler-free review, having known that they set up this vial. Because in the movie, it felt a bit... I don't, it wasn't fully clear how the vial was connected to which to Bond and whose you know blood it was, who was a target of the poison. But I think now thinking about it, looking back, they did actually show it pretty clearly, and I think it was just me who misunderstood it. So I do really like this device and the fact that it leads to the end when you know Bond is saving the world by you know stopping this going everywhere and letting the missiles just destroy this whole island so that they're not going to disperse the poison. And then he sacrifices him. Well, he doesn't sacrifice himself, but he does just die because he's just tired. And obviously, if he goes on, he's not going to be able to see Madeline. So he just can't live knowing that. Again, it is kind of a stretch considering I don't think all the audience members bought into their chemistry from Spectre. But I do think this movie does a better, much better job doing the score by Hans Zimmer. It's fantastic. He actually even brings back... A th- one of the uh, pieces of soundtrack from Batman Begins called Molossus when Batman's like, you know, crossing those rooftops with his tumbler. And there's like a remix of that in this movie, which I thought was really cool. But his score at the end really works. Again, Bond sacrifices himself. This is probably the lowest note that any James Bond movie has ever ended on. And for me, it worked. And those are just my thoughts on a few spoiler things in this movie. Again, I love this movie can't put it quite as high as Skyfall and Casino Royale personally but those are just some of my spoiler thoughts on this that I wanted to get out there actually that wasn't even scripted it was just me just rambling about a few things that stuck out to me so the sacrifice at the end for me really worked the climax was exciting it was intense for me almost this, almost this whole movie came together and a few things were a bit unclear and Safin came in a bit too late and didn't leave much of a mark on me personally but I love this movie and I cannot wait to see it again so With that said now, let's move on to my number two. Coming into my number two is Skyfall. This is easily one of the most unique and personal Bond stories inside this entire franchise. It's got all the spectacle you'd want from a Bond movie, which is, by the way, is absolutely immaculately, immaculately shot. Roger Deakins, excuse me. But it also has a lot more emotional stakes inside of the movie than a lot of the other ones. And it feels kind of like kind of a new take on James Bond. Part of that is Javier Bardem as the villain, who's great. And he, his, what he wants to do and his goal hits more close to home for Bond than I think in previous movies. And again, while not all the elements of his character, especially like in, in like the late second act, while not all of it comes together perfectly... The performance by Javier Bardem is certainly not the problem. He's great as Silva. And the story is crafted so meticulously and well in here. And it just, it doesn't, the cliche nature of part, part of this movie doesn't bother, as, bother me as much because it is 
quite new inside of this franchise, and the script and dialogue is deep, and it's much deeper than most blockbusters are, and more than most Bond movies. And even the third act, which is a bit over the top at times, it feels so fitting for the 50th anniversary of James Bond movies. It's a more personal movie, it's more of a thoughtful blockbuster, and I absolutely love that. But coming in at first place is still Casino Royale. This is by far the best 007 movie ever made, and one of my personal favorite movies of all time. This movie reestablishes James Bond in the best way possible. It's definitely more of a restart of the franchise, and therefore it's able to do something very new for the series and tell an origin story. Daniel Craig, of course, was absolutely born to play this role and is easily my favorite take and performance of this character of all time. And this movie actually has one of the best and most just unique third act structures I've ever seen in a movie, and I think it's just absolutely perfect. The first act is a very fast-paced action adventures, action adventure movie, and all the action here, speaking of, is phenomenal. And that chase at the beginning, the parkour chase, still the, the best action sequence in this franchise, bar none, and one of the best action sequences, I think, in the 21st century. And the second act is a bit more of a suspenseful, it's, it, well, it's not, it is a suspenseful poker game, that is so intense at points that I just, I feel like I'm sweating. When the characters in the movie, you can just tell how in they are to the poker game. The way it uses cross dissolves to go show the passage of time is so cool. And the third act is a bit more tragic. It's, you know, it's kind of like the epilogue to the movie almost. And I just love the way it plays out. It's emotional and it's a lot more impactful than I actually remember it being. I absolutely love this movie. Again, it's my favorite um, James Bond movie of all time, one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's why Casino Royale comes in at number one. So with that said, guys, what is your favorite Bond movie? I'd love to hear, and if you could let me know down in comments or whatever section, if you can, wherever you're listening, depending on the platform. Make sure to answer the Q&A question that I put if you're listening on Spotify. And if you did enjoy this, make sure to follow the podcast and stay tuned for more. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you all next time. Bye-bye.